Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, I'm James Richardson. If, like me, you've ever felt like one of Cantona's cows watching gamely as football steams past like an express train, then why not join me three times a week over on the Totally Football Show? This Monday, for example, I'll be joined by Daniel Storey, Tom Williams and Benji Lignardo to explain what actually happened this Premier League weekend. Huh. Tuesday, it's the turn of the Euro crew, Horncastle, Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo and Julian Laurence to drop knowledge on all the continent's big stories, including this week the biggest last-minute come back in Bundesliga history. Woof. Thursday then, it's back to our septic aisle to preview the weekend's Premier League games again with data beta Duncan Alexander and this week analysis from Karl Anker and Adrian Clark. Join us then for cogent insight, fun and a few feeble puns plus the odd move from me. Just search for the Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcast. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbreak off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone and welcome to Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. So do you remember all those podcasts we did at the start of last season when it was all grim and we lost our first three games? And there was a fair bit, I would say, of negativity. Well, this pod won't be like that. This podcast is like a reward for you, dear listener, and us as well, for having to suffer through all that misery. I'm joined by a rather happier than this time last year. Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Morning. Tequila. <laughs> well, I've exactly. decided that I've decided that that should basically be this season's greeting. So you know, instead of saying hi and bye or ciao or whatever, you just say tequila when you see someone or at the end of the day, bye. If tequila. you know, you know. Yeah, I like ah. it. Yeah. And an, an obsession with tequila never hurt anyone, did it? Let's be fair. So uh... tell us all about it, Stone. <laughs> hey, I'm having Edinburgh. This is the home of excessive drinking during the festival. Very quickly on tequila, <laughs> we had this conversation pre Saliba, pre Bournemouth. Uh, with Mrs. Clark the other day, we found an old bottle of tequila in our cupboard, and it was like we've not even opened this. It's about ten years old. It's not going to happen, is it? We're too we're too old to be doing shots of shots of tequila. We need. Should we just get rid of it? And I don't think we did, and I don't think I'm going to now. I no. think I think it's time to bring it out. <laughs> Okay, next time we meet up for a podcast, bring it with Adrian, okay? <laughs> yeah. we'll, have, we'll have an extended lunch, because none of us have got anything better to do, let's be fair, than drink tequila in the afternoon. Um, we thought, of course, we would start by talking uh, about Arsenal earworms. I was basically going to ask, what were those songs that just stayed with you, really? Because we know that that uh, Tequila is going to be with us for the well, hopefully for the next ten years. But let's see how we go. Adrian, I'm going to come to you first. Arsenal earworm songs. 
Georgie Graham's magic. He wears a magic yes. hat. <laughs> when he saw the yeah. FA Cup, he said, I'm having that. I, yeah, oh, I couldn't get it out of my head as a yeah. kid. <laughs> well, as yeah. a kid, I just couldn't stop singing it because that was that was the golden the golden era so uh, of cups and cup success. So, yeah, that's the one that got into my ear. And, uh, yeah, it took a while to shake off. I must say, I, I always associate it with the Cup Winners' Cup. I always associate it with being in uh, Copenhagen. Uh, and winning and that just fantastic. It, essentially, it was a week because I could only get a flight on the Friday back, and I was I got out there on the Monday, and I just had the best time. And I think I sang that song pretty much the entire time I was there. So that one, that one is a very very good one. Uh, Amy, which seven are you going to choose from? Well, there <laughs> obviously was a lot, but <laughs> I have to say that was almost the perfect segue. Because I I texted a mate uh, after the tequila extravaganza on the weekend and said, you know, this is uh, you know, how's your earworm? You know, this is um, this is the the the, the deepest one I've had since Go West in 1994. Mm-hmm. And uh, the old one nil to the Arsenal, which was born in in, in that cup run at half time of the Paris Saint Germain away semi final. What I remember really deeply about it was after the game. We could, uh, uh, us and our mates, we only talk to each other in that cadence. So it'd be like, would you like another beer? Or, you know, <laughs> shall we go you soon? I mean, honestly, it was that, that was how the rest of the night and the next day was spent. <laughs> and the next day was spent trying to get to Aarhus because there was no flights out of Copenhagen. And um, I don't even know how we managed it, but we ended up in some field in Aarhus, which is a smallish town. And the airport was kind of on the other side of these fields. We could see it, but the you know the bus had just dumped us the wrong side of the airport, and we wandered through these fields trying to you know singing the Go West song. And that, and I remember even sitting in the in the plane, and like you could hear it in the air conditioning. It was like we were going slightly mad and imagining it everywhere. No, I, absolutely. I, I I should put in a shout for uh, Saka and Emil Smith Rowe as well for rocking all over the world, the status quo tune. Because, I mean, I, I always I always like quote, and I've seen him do that song a few times, and uh, it is very, very catchy. And it seems to work, and I certainly remember that at the Tottenham game last year. And one more, uh, Vieira, which uh, I'm very much looking forward to bringing back. I know some people have different views, <laughs> Amy, I'm looking at you. I know, but you know what? It's not going to stop it because people love that song. Uh, they genuinely love that song. And, and Dean Martin should be proud. <laughs> for there was one us. other, I'll just sneak a quick mention for uh, the Stevie Bold, He's Got No Hair But We Don't Care song at Sheffield Wednesday in the early yes. 1990s <laughs> at Hillsborough. And uh, I think there was a game up there. There was one one game where he scored the winner and there was one game, I think, where he scored one in each end and it was a draw. And uh, I think it was possibly after he scored the own goal. He's got nowhere. We don't care. It went, it went on for about 40 minutes, just getting louder and louder, and everyone was banging their old wooden seats in the upper tier. Yeah, I mean, these songs... It's, fun. Bon- it's, it's about having fun. It's about feeling alive when you're watching football. Yeah. Well, those songs, those songs definitely help. By the way, there will be people listening to this shouting at the, uh, their laptops or whatever, going the uh, Freddie Lundberg by the way, we love you, Freddie. I mean, oh, yes, another fantastic song. And I had the Chelsea Cup final when uh, Freddie got the uh, the goal and then the, oh, Sonny Ray Parler. <laughs> uh, 
that one, Freddie Lumbo's song, and that whole season. Uh, so, yeah, very, very much uh, enjoyed chat. that. But uh, yeah, Tequila is the new one. Uh, by the way, uh, they did say that the um, the players uh, were singing it in the dressing room after the game. That, that, that does talk to you, does it not, Adrian, about the connection between the fans and the players at this point? There's, there is something something magical going on at the moment. Yeah, it's really nice, isn't it? It's a, it's a great feeling to have that, that, that shared connection with the supporters where you're all... Yeah, they're loving the players. The players are loving the fans. It, it doesn't always work like this in football. But yeah, it's it's a young dressing room. It's a dressing room with lots of energy. And these are the kind of things that happen in those young, energetic, happy, winning dressing rooms. That, that That's exactly the sort of thing that, that happens. And yeah, I'm glad to hear that the Arsenal players are absolutely normal when it comes to things like that. I also think it's particularly endearing, really, when you put it into sort of the larger context of the Saliba Arsenal story. And uh, I think probably there were quite a lot of people that were maybe slightly concerned about, you know, how he might feel about coming back to the club after what was, you know, let's be honest, any teenager who signs for a big club like that has to arrive full of excitement, full of positivity and expecting to kind of come in and launch their career onto a new level. Arsenal have seen it. They've had countless players over the years that have come in. Some have, you know, been, went on to be the best the club has ever seen amongst that group, like Cesc Fabregas or Van Persie. Others, you know, a Danielson or Juan or Moritz Voltz. When you uproot from your country and you go to a to make that huge decision, a bit like when Martin Odegaard went at the age of 15 to Real Madrid, where you're going like, right, here we go, this is... This is a big step at a very young age. And his pathway since has been so difficult and so odd and unusual. And, oh, oh, you know, part of it, I think, has been brilliant for him. He's loved his time in Marseille, particularly last year. I think he really enjoyed being in Nice the year before that. And obviously at Saint-Étienne, his hometown club. But there were complications in the, along the way. He wanted to play in the French Cup final for Saint-Étienne. That wasn't allowed. He came to Arsenal. He wasn't registered and had to spend a few months sitting there feeling like a I think he was quite let down. Nobody could really pr- pretend otherwise. That was really hard. Then goes back to France and sort of starts again. You never know how much contact there is between clubs and players when they're away on loan somewhere else. And there was so much hope amongst the fan base for him to come back. And, you know, this we've waited so long for this guy. And is he going to be the real deal? But also, what about him? What about his life? And what about his feelings? And I think coming into Arsenal... First of all, this summer was quite a brave decision because he probably could have kicked off and stayed in France if he'd have wanted to, possibly. He was the one who was as responsible as anyone for saying, I'm going to be here and I'm going to make a go of it. And I think, again, I I wondered whether he might have had to be much more patient for his opportunity. You know, the Ben White-Gabriel partnership was very established last year. And I don't think anybody anticipated that Saliba would walk into the side on first minute of the season and make himself look undroppable immediately. But there was something, there was almost an innocence on his face when when he recognised they went over to the crowd at the end of the game and it was obvious everyone was singing his song and having a right old laugh. Imagine what that does to you. Imagine how that makes you feel if you're him. I was really touched and I was really grateful that I thought it might be harder for him to feel Arsenal. And yet here we are, three games in, and I think probably he's like a bit almost overwhelmed by how loved he is. 
I know our fan base don't do that to just everybody, let's be honest. Um, it can take a long time. <laughs> Granite's waited years for a song, as was also going doing the rounds on the weekend. But there was something organic and beautiful about it. And I think almost the fan base have wanted to kind of reach out to him and say, like, we want to look after you. You're one of us. We really believe in you. We want you here. We want you to love it. We want you to stay. You know, he's only got two years less than right now as we speak. Every club in Europe must be looking at him thinking, hello. You know, we need him to feel this is the place to be and this is where I feel valued and appreciated because I think that value and appreciation is probably something he didn't actually feel to start with and it's great that the fans have helped him feel that it was so brutal it was brutal what happened because you signed for big money you're a young player and you get cast aside before you've really had a chance to to do anything and okay in the long run it seems to have benefited him so it's worked out well but to take that on the chin and to come back from it the way he has shows great character and belief in himself. And I do think the fans actually recognise that and they want, they're want they trying extra hard to make him feel welcome. And maybe the players are as well, because it's not a, f- a French dressing room anymore either. It's a more Spanish-Portuguese type vibe, isn't it? So so he, he was quite alone. And I think there'd be an, an element of embarrassment on his part. He would feel a little bit embarrassed that he didn't hit the ground running at Arsenal and that he was sort of pushed to one side. So well done to him and, and well done to everyone for, for sort of um, yeah putting their arms around him and, uh, and making him feel great. Exactly that, Adrian, opening their arms. And then we're talking about everyone at the club, including the fans, opening their arms and welcoming him. Uh, and uh, he is obviously loved. And uh, I did speak to Amy over the weekend quite a few times. And, they were <laughs> and as, as you said, Amy, that, you know, no one has ever had a start at Arsenal quite like that. In the first game, he's man of the match against Crystal Palace and they're all talking about him on the telly. In the second game, he scores an own goal and the crowd respond by basically saying, mate, we love you and we trust you and you're going to be great. And what that must do to him. And in the third game, (laughs) he scores a worldie that makes Alexander... Zinchenko hold his head in his hands. So, you know, it's uh, it's been... Eventful. I mean, how effortless did he make it look? He makes oh, it look oh, like he pings them in in training he's every three straight. seconds. Lazy swing <laughs> of his boot. It was really, really gorgeous. And um, one more thing before we move on from the songs. Adrian, oh, let's not. Uh, no, you know <laughs> what you mean. Let's just do a whole point talking I know what songs. you mean, but you, uh, uh, you, you apparently know Matt Davis-Adams, who is uh, a Chelsea fan uh, on Twitter, talking about... Well, he's not a Chelsea fan, no. Oh, he's not a Chelsea fan. <laughs> yeah, he presents the Chelsea pod, so yeah. Ah, he, okay. He presents the Chelsea pod for the Athletic, so. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, apparently we are the biggest culprit of chant plagiarism in English football today, and you answer by saying, "Deal with it. We do it best." Also, who gives a monkeys, Adrian? Really? No. I mean, in the end, it's our song. We're singing it about our player. It doesn't matter what the tune is. I mean, you know what? It doesn't Jack- matter. Jack White wrote Seven Nation Army. It wasn't the Tottenham fans or the May United fans. So I just think it's a joke, isn't it, really? Incidentally, my my mate Eugene reminded me that there was an attempt to get this going with Anelka uh, a few years ago, the tequila song. Now, I don't really really recall that, but I think there was a, a group who tried to get that going and then I think the moment passed and it got overtaken by Super Nick. Oh uh, yeah, which chant. also you see we once like. a chant, yes, but once once something sort of sets, it's quite difficult to to change it. But yeah, I have to say overall, you know, I, we were in the car coming back from watching the game with family on Saturday, and 
Uh, my eldest just sort of did a kind of impromptu uh, DJ session of like all the Arsenal related songs, started kicking off with tequila and then moving on to various other players and stuff. And I suddenly thought <laughs> it was like this great sense of lightness and relief, you know, to, to have moved on from the, you know, the calamity of Sweet Caroline and be, you know, getting down to the champs. We've come a long way. Yes. Yes. Well, we certainly have. Um, no, we have. It's absolutely marvellous at the moment. Keep them coming, people. Vibes FC, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Missed by Lerma. Jacker. And that is a finish and a half. What a way to score his first Arsenal goal. William Saliba. Strong at the back, but showing he can do it in attack. 3-0 to the Gunners. Almost nil Arsenal three at the weekend. 18 years since Arsenal have had three wins out of three, uh, uh, first three in the Premier League season. I mean, <laughs> Adrian, <laughs> let's not get carried away. Right? <laughs> I genuinely don't want to get carried away. The last time, by the way, we picked the same team for the first three games, as you will know, was the 2003-2004 season. How did that turn out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just I, listen. I I don't want to get carried away, Adrian. But what what can this team do? What can this team do with a, with a way that the the that sort of atmosphere in the dressing room, the way that uh, obviously Saliba's taking care of business at the back, the way that Gabriel Jesus has lifted the 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 uh, level of the entire team. It's hard not to get carried away with this, isn't it? It is, and and why should we restrict ourselves and and spoil the moment in a way? Let's just enjoy it and 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 start dreaming of, of of big things. So yeah, because reality will probably bite us on the backside sooner or later. But yeah, let's enjoy the moment. It, it's really good. I, I just think, from our point of view, let's just ride this wave as long as we can. And when we when we have that setback, let's just not worry about it not overreact and, and, and just get back on it. I think, yeah, let's just try and get to like, I don't know, 80 points. It's a long time since we got 80 points. Let's, let's just go for that and see what that gets us. Because I think based on what I've seen so far, we, we, we could actually uh, reach that milestone. We, we've had bad seasons and got to 70. So let, let's go for 80 and see, yeah, see what season occurs around us. Can we talk about the touch? Uh, the uh, Jesus touch for the goal briefly um, because that I don't think that pass forward was meant for that to happen straight after that pass forward it was a hoof up into the air wasn't it and out of that Jesus fashioned a goal bit really by using strength and then finesse and then amazing grace and speed to get past a couple of players and then put Gabby in and we know what happened after that I mean what have we got here with Gabriel Jesus? What what have we managed to get? I, I can't believe that every club in Europe wasn't buying him. 
what's going on? I mean, I didn't know he was this good. Did you? No, um, but I think that when you consider how, you know, being the main man, uh, given huge responsibility and playing every week, it's that was not a luxury that he was granted at Manchester City. And I think you can take a lot of super players and you would notice a difference, I think, in, in terms of how they react to being so utterly trusted and given so much responsibility. Yeah, some play players thrive on responsibility. Terry Omri used to say that, you know, he he wanted it. He he liked the fact that his teammates used to be like, give it to Thierry and he'll he'll sort it out. He'll do something in a team of that greatness. Only the very best though, Amy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean really. It, what's lovely about it is it's been from the first moment in pre-season that everyone clapped eyes on him sort of in a national shirt is he's kind of he's yanked the level up like so obviously in a heartbeat and I think what it does do and a a similar thing I suppose is happening to an extent with Zaliba and Sinchenko is when you when you bring players in who automatically raise the level it makes you realize sort of quite where you were before so, you know, you sit there and look at Saliba and think, Jesus, you know, we had to watch years of Mustafi and David Luiz and, you know, things that weren't trusted or were unpredictable. And I suppose in a similar way, uh, for all that Aubameyang and Lacazette were, they were clearly not the centre-forwards that uh, Arteta dreamt of in his system for kind of one person being able to embody everything he wants from his forward. And so suddenly seeing Jesus kind of... It's like that. It's like that perfect piece of the jigsaw clicking in, and perfect. Everything, everything around it, look, you know, looks complete now. He's made the attack look complete in a way that others haven't. Arsenal and Arteta were very adamant about this, and again, you know, there's there's stuff going on at the moment about bringing in a, a wide player, but they're not just going to bring in anybody. They only want someone who lifts the levels now, and that's a, a really thrilling situation for Arsenal to be in and I can't credit everyone enough at the club who's put the the club on that platform because it's been a bloody slog to get there it's well, you know, they've, the had, it's, they've had to everybody has had to suffer they've suffered and the fans have suffered we've suffered to get we've, to yeah. get there yeah. but the platform in place now is so different to when you think back to three you know three years ago you want to buy a wide player well it didn't quite work out did it but actually, what I find extraordinary is that the, the kind of hit rate of transfers at the moment is is very much above average. You know, I think there are times you'd look around and you'd look at Liverpool, you look at Manchester, and they barely get it wrong. You know, Liverpool particularly were outstanding with their for a while with their transfers, and um, you know, you look at the bulk of the team that have come in in the last two windows, and. There Maybe were a couple of question marks. Yeah. Um, Nuno Tavares, Sambi, and obviously we haven't seen Vieira yet or Marquinhos, but they, they seem very optimistic about those. But the other six have all been clear hits. Yeah. I can't even see a, like a, what you would call a proper miss where you think, oh, we've got this player and can't get rid of it. No, it's, it's extremely impressive. And I can't remember the last time we were like that. Adrian, what were you going to say at that point, by the way? I was going to say that... If the Arsenal team had been wearing light blue shirts on, on Saturday, you, you wouldn't have been surprised. They looked like Man City, the way they played. And when Arteta came in 
I think that we we all thought or we all hoped, oh, look, he'll turn us into Manchester City. And it really didn't happen overnight. And, and yeah, we were nowhere near it, but it's beginning to happen. And Gabriel Jesus reminds me a lot of Sergio Aguero in the way that he travels with the ball. You think about Sergio Aguero coming deep and then accelerating past players from, from all sorts of different positions at different angles. It's, it's almost like he couldn't play this way while Sergio Aguero was there. I don't know. But he's, uh, he's clearly learned plenty from Aguero because, um, yeah, stylistically quite similar. And Aguero did all right for City. And City weren't bad with Aguero <laughs> leading the line. So. No, that is true. I mean, we were watching the game, myself and, uh, and Alexander, my son, were watching the game in the pub. And uh, and when that goal was scored and Alexander turned to me, he said, well, Lacazette couldn't do that, could he? And and uh, that has changed the entire focus of the attack. Go on, Amy. I was thinking this the other day as well. You know, Zinchenko, obviously, there was a few touches in there that, and the way he's kind of... Um, made that area of the pitch his own, if you like, since coming in. You know, you have these weird sliding doors moments in football. And I was thinking, if Arsenal had got Lisandro Martinez, mm. they probably wouldn't have got Zinchenko. Mm. And yet, they, although there are some similar traits, they are not the same type of player, really, I don't think, in terms of Martinez seems to be much more defensively minded and Zinchenko more kind of midfield minded, if you like. Plays midfield for Ukraine, right? It, it, it just feels like he's absolutely perfect for Arsenal at the moment. And yet you wonder, he might ne- that might never have happened. Because if, if Arsenal had pressed on and, and got that Martinez deal done... I don't. I don't. Just suppose a decoy, Amy. It was a decoy move <laughs> just to ramp up the price for Manchester United. We, that's all we did it for. We were never interested. These things happening. Hey, Ronald Reagan was offered the part in Casablanca, right? And he didn't take it. And then Humphrey Bogart got the gig, and the rest is history. So these things do happen from time to time. On by the way, uh, Adrian, while we're talking about Zinchenko, I've read a few pieces around how he's he's made Granite Xhaka a better player. Could you sort of briefly explain how that works? I suppose it's the interchange in the positions is nice. Granite Xhaka now has to spend less time worrying about funneling out to left back because of his position. He, he doesn't have to worry about coming deep next to Thomas Partey to make those progressive forward passes as much because Zinchenko's in there doing something else. So it's, it's sort of cleared the space in, in Granite Xhaka's head a little bit and it's allowed him to enjoy himself. I think that... that from a tactical point of view, the standout aspect since Zinchenko came in is the way that we're inverting those fullbacks even more and basically creating a five-man block there with Zinchenko, Party, and White just ahead of the two centre-backs. And those five guys are popping the ball around for fun around whoever the opposition are. At the weekend, it was four Bournemouth players, so it was a 5v4 we deliberately created with Zinchenko coming in. And if you're confident enough to play around them in that central area, what where where is the space suddenly? It's either out wide or it's in those channels between the full-backs and centre-halves. And, and that's where, you know, Granite Xhaka's enjoying himself. He's, he's making all sorts of runs into those positions. Saka's getting 1v1 for fun. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. I think Zinchenko is, is absolutely the perfect signing for this Mikel Arteta side for, for a number of reasons. So, yeah, ta- tactically, we boss the game. I mean, yeah, yeah Scott Parker. Scott Parker's quite smart, actually, 
but he he, he didn't really have a, an answer to that. It was no, it was, they couldn't really sort of get too, near too us. Good. Couldn't really get near us. Um, uh, while we while we mentioned uh, uh, Bukayo Saka, uh, hundred appearances, very very young to have made a hundred appearances. Um, Amy. I mean, I, I don't imagine they're worried about the contract, but it will be something that is on their minds, and not just him, by the way, also William Saliba and Gabby Martinelli. Uh, they are in the final two years of their contract. We know what it is like at that point. I mean, they seem confident, don't they? They're going to get it all tied down. Mikel was asked about it at the press conference last, uh, ahead of the Bournemouth game, and sounded, you know, very, I think he said, very confident that that would be taken care of. And he said he just doesn't want the distraction, which is completely helpful. I'd like to think that Saka wouldn't have reason to go just now. I slightly worry about this particular season with the World Cup in the middle of it and how if you've got something unresolved when it gets to that, you know, World Cups do do big things to people's reputations, to people's values, to people's levels of level of interest, you know, and and those three players in particular, uh, Martinelli, Saka and Saliba, you know, you can imagine them, each of them having impressive World Cups and suddenly th- th- their heads get a bit messed up, you know, with all the interest and who knows who they're talking to out there and they're in your, in your international uh, um, with, the, with, the, with different players around who play for different clubs. And I mean, uh, the Brazilian guys were saying that they were, trying to tell Gabriel, he tried to tap Gabriel Jesus up on international duty. They said that <laughs> Gabriel Magalhaes and, um, and Gabby Martinelli were both set, sort of admitted like, oh God, every time we saw him, we used to be like, oh, come to Arsenal, come to Arsenal. Now that happens. People talk about how much they're earning, how much they could get. People, you know, a manager of a certain club might say to his player who's playing with one of them, talk to them a lot you know, tell them what, what we can do for them. You know, this is all happening when you're away from the club. If you're a young, valuable starlet. Uh, so personally, I'd love to see all three uh, committed to longer contracts before that World Cup happens. Because otherwise they come back from the World Cup, there's the rest of the season and then boom, summertime you got, you're into that last year and that's really a vulnerable position to be in. Uh, I think Martinelli is a slightly less precious situation because I believe there is a um, an option for an extra year, which you would imagine Arsenal would be mad not to <laughs> take. I think I'll probably take that out. Having I, said I, that, I think you have to keep people <laughs> feeling valued. And all all of those players, since their last contract, feel more valuable. So that needs to be reflected in their status in terms of how much they're wanted and how much they're, they're kind of, they feel is reflected in their in their salary compared to others. Well, uh, on that point, uh, then, um, it, it, Adrian, why would a player want to leave a club where the feeling is like this right now? I mean, I'm just... Because from the outside, I, I think the fans have a part to play as well. I think we need a, uh, you know, we need to make sure that those guys are as loved as possible. And, and that feeling around the club, it, I understand you can get another 50 grand a week elsewhere. But surely in a dressing room when it's like this, players think there's no way that I would find this elsewhere. Yeah, the players, yeah, they would be loving it. Great football, good vibes with the fans, young group of mates, winning matches. You've got to sort of strike while the iron's hot and bring it up at the right time. And now is the right time. But unfortunately, all these young players have agents and they have managers 
And unfortunately, those people are quite savvy, usually when it comes to business, and they will see an upcoming World Cup. And they might, I'm not saying that they will, but they might say to their clients, look, you don't need to rush this. We've got a World Cup coming up. And for the reasons that Amy just outlined, they, they might say you could get even more after the World Cup. So let's sit tight. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but, but in their shoes, it could. Um, I just hope that these agents realise that the bigger picture and where these young players are and, and how Arsenal can be good for those guys. So, yeah, a lot of it depends on, on, on the mindset of their, of their representatives. I just think, you know, there's two words in answer to your original question, Stoney, which is when you say, oh, why would anybody want to go anywhere else? Ashley Cole, I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, we're talking about he met with and his agent met with Chelsea and Peter Kenyon and Mourinho and all their representatives in 2004, 2005, you know, we're talking about a matter of months after the Invincibles and you're playing in a team with Henri and Burkamp and Vieira and everybody's loved and it's like, it was as good as it ever was. Yeah. If it can happen to a homegrown Arsenal fan in that circumstance, in the best team we've ever seen, you know, it, it, it's naive to turn around and go, why wouldn't they? That's a fan speaking. It is a fan speaking. It is I a fan speaking. But, fan speaker. you know, when you, in terms of players, agents, you know, money talks, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of players trust their agent more than anybody. That's the person that they listen to most. That's the person they go to first when they have something that needs doing. They're very powerful. They often put themselves into quite powerful positions where they become not just, a, a, you know, someone who looks after the per, that person's money, but that person's life and, and cares and needs. And they become like a, a kind of a right-hand person, if you like. So they do hold a lot of power. And, you know, make no mistake, whatever, whatever very competitive package Arsenal will be able to put together, let's not pretend when you look at the money around football that there are not clubs out there that will be willing to pay more. So you have to hope that it doesn't just come down to, you know, financial considerations. And it's sometimes the charisma of the managers. If Jurgen Klopp takes a shine to you and your agent says, you should hear what the sort of things that Jurgen Klopp is saying about you, mate. This is, he loves you. It makes you think, doesn't it? It makes you think. Even Yeah, so so we, we'd we be naive to think that that these heads won't be turned. But, but I, yeah, we're all a bit biased here, but I genuinely do think that it'd be in the players, this group of players' best interest to to sign at least one more deal here and to enjoy the ride. One more thing before we move on. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale talked about our mentality. Uh, he said, it's, it's crazy how our mentality has changed and what happened at the end of last season to now. We're just more ruthless. We saw how close we came last season and what happened at the end. It hurt a lot. It took a few weeks to get over and it hurt more because it was from the others down the road. Amy, I mean, they say you learn more from your defeats than your victories. As much as painful as it was, and like I say, I'm not even sure I can put myself through watching the end of All or Nothing because I, I just found it really painful, and especially right now when I'm enjoying life so much. That could turn out to be a positive thing in the development of the team. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I can quite... I mean, that's that's like using what's there to try and construct a kind of debate yes. or an argument. You could just as easily say if Arsenal made the Champions League and beaten Tottenham at their place to get get it, that that's the making of this team. So I can't really buy that as a sort of... 
silver lining. I think it's the it's the best way of using a kind of horrific blow like that. Yeah. You want to use it as fuel. You don't want to use it to feel sorry for yourself or to feel less confident. And if these players are able to use it as fuel and drive them faster and further this season, then that's the best thing they could have done with that situation. But let's not rewrite history and pretend that, they, you know, that was a good thing or, or could be seen as a, as a positive. But I also think, you know, slowly, slowly, we're three games in, you know, it's, it's lovely that Aaron Ramsdale feels that way, but he's got to feel that way after the big away games. Yeah. Yeah, that's when we'll know how far the mentality has changed and how much they've, you know, they're using this to drive them on. And and let's remember when our reaction to setbacks or this group of players, their reaction to setbacks was not at all good last season. And we're not really had that setback yet, have we? We've not had that big bump in the road, that really bad half or that stinking 30 minutes where we concede twice haven't had it yet is it going to derail us or have we changed are we able to do what a Liverpool can do sometimes or last season Liverpool or or whatnot where you just park it and you move on and you remember what made you great before and you and you reproduce it I think that is the acid test of the mentality the spirit is great the spirit is is looks untouchable at the moment but yeah, let's let's see how you react to adversity. I think we'll be better. Because when when you think about how close we came to top four, given how bad we were at the start and the finish, I think in a, in a funny kind of way, that should give the players added belief that actually, like, you know, we, we could have cruised it. We could have cruised it into the top four had we, had we been anything like good enough at the start and the finish. So, so yeah, I think... Yeah, I think the mentality would have improved. We would have learned, but it's how we react to those setbacks. That's the key. Well, I I mean, I do think there will be setbacks, but I just don't... It doesn't seem like this team will implode in the same way. But like you say, we will see. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. Ian Stone, Adrian Clark, and Amy Lawrence here on this w- wonderful Monday uh, after a, a rather lovely weekend watching the Arsenal, <laughs> reading all the news reports, watching match of the day. It's all pretty good. Uh, meanwhile, some of our players are doing pretty well overseas as well. Uh, Flo Balligan scored again. Uh, Adrian, there was a lot of talk about Flo uh, Balligan. He's, he's become the first rim. I'm, do you know what? I'm never confident saying that. <laughs> I think that was nice. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. It sounded like I was taking the piss. I'll be totally honest with you, but you know what? Okay. Anyway, he became the first player who played for them to score in each of his first three appearances since somebody, Jacques Vernet, in August 1975. Um, he started well for them, hasn't he, Adrian? And there was a lot of talk around the club about around him, uh, but I'm glad he's having a good time at the moment. He wouldn't be getting in the first team at uh, at the Emirates, would he? He wouldn't, no. He's been poaching really nicely. He's not having that much involvement, I don't think, in general play, but he's scored three goals. He's averaging 2.7 shots a game. And I had a little look at the Ligue 1 uh, golden boot charts, (laughs) and it reads this. Neymar, five. Mbappe, four. Messi, three. Balogun, Three. <laughs> Just frame it. Frame it, Flo. 
very nice. I, I know we are talking about Arsenal, but just, just uh, can I just a slight appreciation for the weight of Messi's pass to Mbappe for the goal after eight seconds? It's just astonishing how he keeps doing it. Um, uh, and you, this is a weird segue. Nicola Pepe <laughs> might be joining. <laughs> I know, I know. What can you do? It was just next on the list. Uh, Amy. He might be joining Nice. Um, it was... I think we had about three podcasts where we've gone, Nicola Pepe, he might be joining Nice. Well, I know, <laughs> so... I know. But that's what I'm hearing. And if he does, that could leave us room to bring in, uh, bring in uh, someone else. Um, I mean, they didn't play him. They didn't put him in the squad at the weekend. And that, that seems like a sensible move. It does look like they want him off the books, right? Yeah, I think that's no secret. And I think it'd be best for everybody, uh, for the club and for him, to have a, for a fresh start and see how that goes. Uh, and then that really leaves two, I'd say two and a half players in that kind of unlikely to get any any much football opportunities this year. Um, Hector into his final year, Ainsley in his final year, where again, probably best for all concerned to uh, sort of say thanks very much and let them go off and play. And then Reese Nelson's the other one, but I think he's injured, so probably wouldn't get the move that, again, he, he probably needs. But the squad looks like it's full of people who are kind of in contention and that you'd be happy to see playing uh, at the moment. So that's really encouraging. Uh, now, some very sad news came out of the Arsenal uh, this week. Steve Braddock, uh, the uh, head groundsman, uh, passed away at the criminally uh, young age of 58. Wasn't he, Amy, 58? I mean, he was he was a good friend of yours, wasn't he? I mean, I know I spoke to you at the weekend and you mentioned uh, to me, I mean, aside from having the best pitch in the world, as far as I can see, he was a good guy, right? He was one of the best. It's one of those, I mean, I feel like I'm doing a few of these at the moment, which is pretty difficult. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was one that really choked me up. We knew that it was coming sooner or later with Steve. Unfortunately, he'd been ill for a while, but... He was just one of these people that made you so glad you knew him and so glad to be in his company. And uh, I got so nostalgic for kind of the, the golden age of when, I suppose, when we first met and started to hang out. I was um, working part-time shift at the gunner shop during my student days. And at that point at Highbury, the, the kind of overall numbers of staff was, was so small compared to the club today that, it you know... It really was a case of you just got to know everybody more or less in passing and all the different departments kind of interchanged. And so you got to, to meet your mates and people that you, you liked or connected with irrespective. So it was uh, myself in the shop, Bill in the box office and Steve on the pitch. And we all shared a love of music at that time and we used to come in on a Monday and bring each other mixtapes and swap them. And Steve used to, he was absolutely mad about his uh, drummer bass and um, his house music. You'd see him mowing the, the lawn with um, with the big sort of, you know, they, they looked like they used to be sort of noise blockers for the lawnmower noise, but actually he was pumping out some tunes uh, back in the day in his own world. Uh, master of his craft, but doing it, doing the the two, the, the, all the things he loved best at once, which was he was he absolutely adored his profession, and you know he won, won multiple awards. I think he was a 
he was so proud um, towards the end when he got given a kind of some sort of lifetime award from the sort of... The, I think that in the world, the world of turf is almost as big as the world of football in its own... You know, we just don't know about it because we're into football, but it's, a, it's massive out there. And he is a Don and he, he was a visionary. And that's where he became quite friendly with Arsene because he kind of discovered that you could use grass cuttings and turn it into a kind of biofuel and thought this could be a kind of change the world type of stuff. And he was very involved in, uh, in this company, which was working towards that. And obviously they've got a lot of grass cuttings, not so much at the Emirates, but at, tra- at the training ground. And they all used to get stored away and put in, and made towards this, uh, this fuel. And I think Arsene was very involved with him on that because he was a progressive kind of thinker as well. They saw eye to eye on a lot of stuff and, and, and Steve adored Arsene and Arsene adored Steve back and I think was in touch with him a lot towards the end as well, which just goes to show how even in these big clubs, it's all about people and people who who get to love one another and and share things. And Steve was just so funny. He was so self-deprecating about everything and you couldn't help but feel, I uh, just feel so 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 pleased that he, every time I saw him or spoke to him or had a message with him I'd have a hugest smile on my face and what what more could you want from life than to have that kind of effect on people and that was Steve and I love him and I'll miss him and uh, go well up there mate I was struck by I read the piece on the Arsenal website Adrian and uh, they talked about how he once said that when he first when he went to his first ever match at Highbury as a boy the one image that struck uh, that stuck in his memory wasn't the players or the crowd, but the beautiful grass. Steve dedicated his life to making sure our grass was always beautiful, for which we are eternally grateful. I must say, I had a similar feeling that when I walked up the steps into Highbury the first time in a night game, I was seven, eight years old, and that grass pitch, it, it really it shone for me. And obviously, in the later years, certainly at Highbury and then at the Emirates, my God, what a beautiful pitch we had. Every time I, I go to a game, it's the first thing I, I look at is the, is the pitch and the grass and the smell of it and the look of it. And yeah, I think we were all proud to wear the badge at Arsenal, but we're also proud of our pitch as well. It was the best. And Steve, Steve was just so dedicated. He was always there. Whenever we, we wouldn't train at Arsenal that often at, at the ground, but whenever we, we were there, he, he was there going up and down and, and he'd like a bit of banter with the lads, which I think they quite enjoyed. He, he, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd go at them like he'd, he'd, he'd take the mick, like, like he would, like he was a member of the dressing room. And I think the lads liked that about him because they could give it back and there's a bit of back and forth. And, uh, but they were similar ages, you see, he, he was a similar age to, to your, your famous back four. You know, they, 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 they you know, I think no wonder they got on. So well, so yeah, I haven't seen him for many, many years, um, but I do remember him fondly. And but but most of all, I always remember those um, those pitches. They would, yeah, they just didn't cut up like the others. <laughs> they were just they were just outstanding playing surfaces, and that was because he, yeah, he was ahead of his time, um, and and he didn't have the technology to do now, but but his pitches were were ahead of their time. Yeah, uh, well, there's a great uh, piece on the Arsenal website talking about him. I'd urge you all to read it. Now, from um, the perfect pitch to pitch perfect, we're going to have a song at the end. 
Uh, Amy, uh, can we have a song f- from you? Yeah, I'm going to have two because one's for Steve. So I'm going to have the, the Champs and Tequila because it's obvious that that's what we have to have this week. And then I'm going to take a... He loved a bit of Groove Rider. So uh, Groove Rider and on the double... Him. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure. I've, Adrian, I, I mean, we know what the song is this week, really. We don't need. We don't need to offer it up. Yeah, yeah. There's only one song. <laughs> but yeah, I like the fact that yeah, Amy's got on for Steve too. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, that's it for the podcast. Thank you to uh, Amy Lawrence and thank you to Adrian Clark and thanks to Abby, our producer, and thank you, listener, for tuning in. We'll be back on Friday. Have a nice week. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. See you soon. <laughs>